I love Christmas. Uh, it's just, it's brighter, the colors are vibrant, uh, the season is usually pretty crisp. Of course, we live in the south, so uh, it'll probably be 82 and a UV warning on Christmas Day, but it'll still be Christmas, and we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do you do? You know, as a pastor, and I was reflecting the other day, uh, many, many years, decades now, that I've been doing this, and uh, you would think Christmas and Easter would be the easiest messages, and in some ways it is, but telling the story, uh, we too often in our lives, we want to add our own flair. That's what happens with false doctrine. We begin to try to make it new, look new, but we don't need anything added to the greatest event in history. We just need to take a deep breath and look at what is already there on the paper. I read, someone wrote this past week that said, all of the wonderful commentaries in the world cannot compare to just simply opening the scripture and reading God's word. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit this morning as we look at Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. What will you do when Jesus comes to town? Put yourself in that situation. We are somewhere around 4 BC, 4 AD, uh, somewhere in that 8 to 10 year range. We have looked back in history at the Old Covenant and we have heard growing up that God created it. God blessed Father Abraham and through Isaac, the chosen son, and Jacob who became Israel. There's this nation, these tribes known as Israel. But our great king, David, who served with great great strength and vitality, who blessed God and blessed the country through that, said there would be one coming that he would bow down to and serve. We know that Genesis tells us that there was one coming of the incorruptible seed, and Second Samuel talks about it, and the psalmist wrote about it. Isaiah is chock full of it, from 7.14, 9.6, chapter 53, all through that scripture. And then we read a very familiar verse in our hearts that we've heard growing up, Micah 5.2, that even describes in detail exactly where he would be born, the Messiah, Emmanuel, Jehovah, Jesus. And so we pick up now, we're standing in the midst of all of that knowledge, all of that pre-understanding. We have gone to our Sunday school classes and we've heard about it, but now all of a sudden, we get up one morning and things 
quickly begin to change. That's what was happening here in Jerusalem. And so we find in chapter 2 of Matthew, Levi writes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem in Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, Quoting Micah 5.2. In Bethlehem, thou Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor, quoting Isaiah, that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he, privately, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, And searched diligently for the young child. And when he had found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them. Till it came and stood over where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. Now, I'll finish the story Next week. But this morning I want to look at what would we do when Jesus came to town. There's three very individualized representations I think found in this story today. There are the priest, the king, and the magi. And we want to look at them for just a quick moment and see where we fall in the midst of the coming Christmas story. We're a week, week away. We're a week away. What are we worried about? Are we concentrated just on making sure we have finished our Christmas list? Are we worried about family gatherings and what we've got to cook and what we've got to prepare, where we've got to go and what we've got to do? Or are we taking the time to diligently And fervently seek out the Savior. And so we begin by looking at the religious crowd. Let us look this morning at the priests who ignored the king. Notice with me again what it tells us. The wise men or the magi, and we'll talk about them a little bit more in a moment. But when they came, they came to Jerusalem. Now, these magi, or wise men, as it is translated, if you transliterate the word back, uh, there's two schools of thought. They either, and we know it, they came from the east. Some believe that they come from the Mede-Persia uh, geographic location, or they 
came from Babylon. Either one of these is all right, and it really doesn't matter. Just give you some background. Where do we see some of these wise men before? We see them at the foot of the throne of Pharaoh. As Moses came in before Pharaoh and said, God said, let my people go. And when they did, when Moses said that, and God used Moses throwing the rod down, we know the wise men, the, the magi of that day came and mimicked those things. But then God says, can you do this? And they couldn't do it. And they looked over at Pharaoh and Pharaoh's like, come on, I pay y'all a lot of money. Let's see it. You're the, you're the smart ones. You're the ones that's able to do this. They could not do it. And they said, there's something about him. And I don't know, I, I would like to surmise that possibly there was a, a, a deepness of faith that grew in those wise men of that day that may have lingered throughout their generation. I don't know about you, but if I discover something that's really a blessing in my life, I want to share it with my kids. I don't understand why parents who know the Lord Jesus Christ, who was raised in in the nurture and admonition, do not want their children to have more of Jesus. And so these wise men came from the east. And when they came, they wanted to know. But see, they, they did not grow up in a Jewish household. They did not fully grasp the whole meaning of born in Bethlehem. And so all they knew to do was to go to the capital, the same place that I pray we're fixing to recognize again, that holy city of Jerusalem. And so they approached into this city. Now understand that just prior to this, for about 60 years prior to this, that all of Israel had been conquered by the Roman Empire. That from, uh, from uh, Julius Caesar on through to Mark Anthony and uh, all, all of these different uh, authorities that had come in and had so pressed down the Jewish people that the Roman government had controlled things. Well, Herod... Herod was an Edomite. Herod would bring back to life and back to the surface that deep struggle that had been going on for thousands of years between Jacob and Esau. And he saw an opportunity to capitalize, and so he played both sides of the fence. And yet, these wise men came. And they came and they said, where is he? Where is he that is Born king of the Jews. For we've seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Now notice something about these priests. They were very religious from the high priest on down. They were scribes, no doubt part of the Sanhedrin. Much, if you'll read forward in the Apostle Paul, the same kind of person the Apostle Paul was. When he lists his uh, grand resume of accomplishments and his pedigree, all of these are in it, basically, except for high priest. These were the head knockers 
of the modern day religious movement. They were the power brokers. When you went to a convention, they were the little group standing over there talking and deciding what policy and how things were going to be. They were the ones making the really wise, deep tweets that everybody else wants to retweet. They had a handle on things. And so when they came, the king came to them. The king, King Herod, in all of his might, and listen, Herod was called Herod the Great for a reason. Not because he was a great guy in the positive sense, but because he was a great atrocity and a great criminal to the people of Israel. He was a mean authoritarian. He was a dictator of sorts, even though he operated under the umbrella of Rome, this was his kingdom. And so he killed people wholesale. He killed his wives. He killed his children. There is great stories. We know uh, what went on later in his life. He went stark raving mad. They, they say that historians write about him as being so mad mentally that after he had one of his wives killed, he would go through the crowd and he would see a woman he thought was her. And he would scream for her in torment in his mind. He was a very evil man. And so the priests, when they have this king come to them, not with demands, but with a request, they say, you know what? This is a way. This is a way we can work our way in so that we can protect ourselves. And so it goes. Herod asked them. And what do they say? He said that, they told, that he told them where, they, where he should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And they go ahead and quote it. I want you to understand what the priest saw. You see, the priest ignored the king right there in their face. And all they're worried about was this earthly pipsqueak king when the king of all ages would be born just over the mountaintop. How busy are we to strain at a gnat and swallow a camel? How consumed are we by the religi religiosity of our lives, making sure that we cross things off, that we don't stop to kneel before the king of all ages. You see, they ignored the king because they just looked around. They looked around. Hey, look, man, we're, we're in the king's court. We have made it. We have finally made it to the point that we have the attention of the king. We are in his palace and he's asking us questions. And so they just looked around. Why? Why do you think the priest would act this way? They knew the scripture. And they knew the scripture. They, they had sit under great teachers. They were great teachers themselves. They were men of very high academic prowess and deep understanding of the old covenant. Yet they ignored the truth. Why? Because they knew 
in their flesh. He would challenge their belief systems. I don't know about you, but the older I get, Jesus says some of the things you're hanging on to isn't necessarily right. And you know, we hear stuff. Our parents teach us stuff. Our grandparents teach us stuff. We even heard stuff from the pulpit and others that we have clung to that are not factual biblical truths. And some are truth in and of themselves until we pervert it. And we express it in our own way of thinking. We say, well, I just don't see it that way. I'm going to tell you something. God's word is God's word, no matter what year it is, no matter what the culture says, and no matter what your preference or what makes your heart happy. It's still God's word. Romans 1 is Romans 1. Leviticus is still Leviticus. God's word is God's word. And it does not matter what background you came from, what country you were born in. It does not matter what year you were born in. Jesus and his word stands the test of time. But yet, in their lives, they knew there would be a challenge to their belief system. Things that they were dogmatic about. I've talked to you about this before. Six. 113 religious laws that they felt like they kept every day. They followed the dietary. You remember what Jesus, when he walked into their crowd and he said, you know, you stand out here and you pray where everybody you can fast and you want to make it look where everybody can see you fast and you do all these things. And it's all about your dogma and your piety of, oh, look how religious I am. Yet Jesus is not within a hundred miles. You can quote Philippians 4.13 with every breath you've got and not live for him. You hear me? You can quote Jeremiah 29.11 until the cows come home. But I've got news for you. God's plans for your life are not your plans for your life. We say, oh, I know the plans God has for me and his plans for peace and not evil. Keep living in sin and see how much peace comes your way. That whole evil part is to live according to his word and his will, not your own. Well, the high priest had this mixed up. They thought, you know what? We've ascended up to look, look, look what we are. Look what we have received. Man, it's so great. But then they knew that he would charge them of sin. You remember what Jesus called them outside the temple? A generation of vipers. What does that even mean? My mother hates snakes. I mean with a passion. To the point she can't stand to even see one on TV. So you know what our job is to do, is to find anything that resembles anything like that and turn it on to try to make her skin crawl. She cannot stand it. She can't stand it. And sometimes, I've got to be honest with you, it makes my skin crawl to watch some of the stuff on National Geographic stuff when they get out there in the water with these 20-foot anacondas and pythons wrapped all around them and all that, you know, and they're reaching down behind this wood pile for a, you know, a puff adder or something that 
You know, cobras and cobras freak me out. Now, I'll just be honest with you. Cobras freak me out. I, look, rattlesnakes to me ain't nothing compared to a cobra. Well, the whole point is Jesus said that's what you are. A pit of cobras, anacondas, rattlesnakes, puff adders, a black monk. The worst of the worst, that's what you are. That's what you are. A pit of vipers. What else do you call them? Hypocrites. He said, you are a bunch of charlatans. You act Christian. You come to the Christmas play. You sing in the choir. You preach messages. You go out and you say, look how Christian I really am. He said, you're a fraud. You see, this coming king was going to charge them of their sin. I don't know about you. I still don't find it comforting when God reveals sin in my life. Yet, I'm glad he does. I'm glad he does. When God says, you know you ought to be at church. You know you ought to pray more. You you know you ought to turn the TV off and get in my word. You know, you know that what you're about to say is cutting. It's not positive. It's not edifying. Just keep your mouth shut. I don't want to hear it. I want to tell somebody how I feel. I believe I can make a living out of social media just telling people how silly they sound. But God says, no. Leave that for some. There's enough negativity in the world, right? Y'all not convinced? Y'all like it? I mean, church, listen, the world is negative. And it goes back to this goes back to this very point. They have no hope. They could not see the forest for the trees. Now I want you to think about this. Where we live, I remember six years ago, right now, this week, six years ago, we had came over. We started moving things in and uh, I believe it was a week ago, I mean, six years ago tomorrow. We began to move stuff over and all that. And I can remember going to the Statesboro Mall. Now, see, you just laugh, but you haven't seen the Covington Mall. That with its whopping JCPenney and Singer store. That's it. That's it. There was a grocery store at the end, but they moved it out. And there was a fingernail place, I think, and that was, I'm honestly, that's all it was. So Statesboro Mall was pretty cool, and it's only 25 miles. I mean, this is cool. In Savannah, we can be there in an hour. But now we think, oh, I've got to drive to Savannah. I've got to drive down there in the morning. Oh, I've got to go to Savannah. Oh, the traffic out on Abercorn and Duran and all the roads tore up out there. And I-16's a mess and all these other things. If you have studied all your life, and from the time you were old enough to remember, you had heard that your deliver- the greatest thing that would ever happen to you was just over that hill. Wouldn't you want to go? My house is 4.4 miles from right here. 4.4 miles. That's basically the same Distance as it was from where Herod and the high priest are standing to the barn where Jesus was born. I've been to Bethlehem. 
I've been to the church of the nativity, whether he was born there. I know he's born in the city because my word, my Bible tells me. I don't believe in uh, all the specifics of this exact grotto and this exact, but I do know it was in that city. And I've been to Bethlehem. And I know that when we got back in the tour bus and we, we drove, I know we didn't even have time to get settled before we was over the hill, past Cana, and we are, are uh, past Bethany rather, and we are looking at the eternal city, Jerusalem. It's that quick. It's that quick. I mean, it's just right over the hill. Yet, they knew all that, and they didn't even, they knew scripture. Look, not only did he say, oh yeah, Bible says so. You know, it's one thing to say the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-A, B-I-B-L-E. Jesus loves me. Why? Yeah, but where does he say that? Now, that's rhetorical. I know you know. But you see, the king says, where will this so-called king be born? They said, oh, the scripture tells us. They quoted it to him. They didn't just say, Jesus loves me this, I know, for the Bible tells me so. They said it in the way of, Jesus loves me this, I know, for 1 John says God is love. And we know that John 14, 6 says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. That John 3, 16 says for God so loved the world uh, that he gave his only begotten son. They quoted it to him. They said, for the scripture says that he would be born in Bethlehem. And they quote it. I said a while ago, they quote that. They quote, they talk about him being governor. What does it tell us in Isaiah 5, uh, 9, 6? That he'd be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, a prince of peace. That he would govern all things. Look, they knew where he was to be born and didn't hesitate to tell them he had only five miles away and didn't even go for themselves. How many of us are telling everybody how great God is, but it's been eons since we fell before his very face and said, God, I need to see you. We're telling the world, hey, we're Baptists, we're Christians, we love Jesus, and we're giving to Lottie Moon, and we're helping missionaries around the globe. But we have not come to the throne of grace in days, weeks, maybe even years. And he's staring us right in the face. We're telling everybody, oh, you need to trust Jesus when our life says, no, you don't. Do it your own way because that's what I'm doing. We're practicing atheists. We're showing the world we're different than what we say. We are that generation of vipers. We are hypocrites. For what we say and what we do are two different things. We are living in an era that thinks, well, I can go to church for an hour on Sunday and live like hell all week, and God just understands I'll come back and get it right. Look, we don't follow that dogma. We don't follow that idea of religion, that we can do whatever we want. You know, even the world, even the world accuses us because of our doctrine of eternal security, because of the lackadaisical, sin-filled lives we live. Oh, you Baptists. All you people that believe in eternal security, once saved, all you saved, you can just live however you want. 
The problem is we don't believe that in the text. We believe God's word says that where sin did abound, so much more did grace abound. And shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Yes, we believe that in our head. With our hands and our heart, we're saying something totally different. We're saying, I'm good. I got fire insurance. But Jesus came to this earth for so much more. You see, they just looked around. Jesus staring them right in the face. But notice, Herod thought he was king. The priests ignored the king. Herod, because of politics, he looked down. Looked down his nose at this religious group. Looked down his nose at these wise men. They were Gentiles. They were from another place. These, these men, uh, they're, they're astrologers. They're astronomers. They're magicians. They're just all about the busyness of their minds. They don't know. I'm the king. Do they not understand that I can take their life with just a nod? He looked down his nose, but inside he was scared to death. Why? We know because, first of all, he tried to kill him. Right? Right? This is in the text. This is Christmas story now. First of all, I, don't, I, I hate to blow your idea of Christmas out of the water. I don't mean... Anything by it, but I, I want you to understand the depth of truth in the story that we get our doctrine from the pages of God's Word and not a Christmas movie or not a simple nativity scene. I understand we don't have a couple years to draw out our nativity scene, we only got a few weeks that we can cram it in between Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Easter. But the truth is. The Magi never saw this. They were not here. They were not here. Shepherds, yes. Magi, no. They had seen the star shining and they had started making their way. And I don't know if you understand, they didn't have Uber back then. Now they were wise men and they were probably wealthy men. And they probably had camels or mules or whatever they had. But they didn't have jets. They didn't have cars, and so it took them a little while. And as they followed, they went to Jerusalem first. We know that Jesus didn't stay here that long. We know that they carried him, had him circumcised on the eighth day, right? And when we find, and Lord's willing, next week we'll talk about it, when the wise men found him, they were where? In the house. Now understand, what did the king issue in his death penalty? When he said who should die, who did he say? Firstborn of what? How old? Up to two years old. Why? Because listen, and I'm not even going to get into all the astrology, astronomy ideas. And many believe they weren't just magical astrologers, but they were really learned men of astronomy that most of our understanding of our uh, galaxies and, and our solar system and our literal time that we follow with Greenwich Mean Time and all of that, 
began with some of these astronomers. That's how we understood. They were men of learned knowledge. I mean, they had poured themselves into growing in understanding. Yet, they came. And when they got there, they came to Jerusalem. They didn't understand. They just followed the star. Remember now, they're having to get, have scripture quoted them. They knew some scripture. They didn't know all scripture. And they didn't know it to be alive in their heart. See, that's where you and I are different. Hear me now. If you're born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, these are not simply words printed on a page. These, this is not just a really cool wintertime, precious, heartfelt story. This is the life-changing, factual event that the God of the universe that created everything spoke the world into existence, overshadowed through the person of the Holy Spirit, this young virgin named Mary, and she conceived a child who was born. 33 years later, would be nailed to a cross, having never known one sin. This is real. This is real. We need to grasp it. Listen, Herod thought he was king. If you read through chapter 2, you'll find out it didn't last long. I mean, look. He tells us over and over, verse after verse, he mocked others and, and he was mocked. He was mad. He made a great oration to himself, other things like that. And very quickly, we know within a couple of years, Herod was dead. You can't mess with God and keep going. You hear what I'm saying? You just can't. God's word tells us that. And so what did Herod try to do? He tried to kill him. Can I tell you, too often in our lives, we're trying to do the same thing. So, oh no, Jesus is my Savior. I love Jesus. Look, we go off to college. We get married. We start climbing the corporate ladder. We start trying to build our nest egg. We start trying to uh, uh, retire and have more fun and do all these things. And what we're doing is literally we're trying to kill Jesus in our head. Because if we can, we can avoid it in our heart. And that pressure, that nagging conviction... Frederick Nitschke said, where has God gone? Now, this has been over 100-something years ago. What the world calls a great philosopher, a man of reason, intelligence, and understanding. Matter of fact, I took this quote off the sage page. People who consider themselves well-learned. And well versed in rationale. Where has God gone? I shall tell you. We have killed him. You and I. We are his murderers. And they continued on. And he said. About the church. About Christians. Because what he was saying is. He was raised in a very devout Christian home. And yet he watched the hypocrisy 
of so many. And he saw other things. And instead of turning to the Lord and realizing that's flawed men in the face of an infallible God. That our actions has no direct relevance on the holiness and truthfulness that is God. You hear what I'm saying? So if you want to quit church because it's full of hypocrites. Because some so-and-so made you mad because they didn't talk to you. Or the preacher didn't shake your hand or didn't say something just right. Understand that though we represent, we're ambassadors for the king, we're not the king. And we came here today, I come to see all of you. But number one, I came to see him. The wise men would not be deterred. We'll get to it in just a moment. But listen, Nitschke said, what are these churches now if they are not the tombs and sepulchers of God? He explained that they had killed God by their actions. And in their minds, they had literally buried him within the halls of religion. You see, kill means to make dead. We're literally trying to make God dead in our minds, to make Jesus dead in our minds because when we stop and meditate, when we stop and kneel before the manger, when we kneel before the cross, when we kneel before the empty tomb, we're laid bare. I'm very hesitant to say the birth is the greatest event because what do you do about the cross? And I'm hesitate, I hesitate to say the cross is where it all happened because what do you have without an empty tomb? I think it takes it all. The greatest event is Jesus, okay? It's Jesus. And what we need to do is come before his throne boldly. Not try to kill him in our heads. That's what Herod did. If he could just kill him, if he could just get rid of it, it boggles my mind. Look, do you ever read the news or see anything that comes up on the news? The, the horrific things that goes on in this world. Where we have seen women who killed their children so that they could be with another man. We have seen men kill their wives so that they could be with another woman. Or just to get rid of her. To do whatever they want. We have seen children kill parents. Just so that, because they think, if I can just kill them... I can do whatever I want. That's why an atheist claims atheism. Because if they can kill God in their head, they can let their heart do whatever it wants to do. We live in the age of reason where that's all we think about. I'm going to tell you, if you don't wise up, the world's going to take your children. It'll take your marriage. And it'll have you thinking things of, if I can just kill the idea of church, if I can kill the idea of studying God's word, if I can kill the idea of prayer, if we can just come together and feel good, have a meal every once in a while, pat each other on the back and tell each other how good we look, how good we are, then we can literally kill God and the convicting power of the spirit in our lives. Herod said, I must get rid of him. And so he made him dead in his head, but then dead in our hearts. How? Killed by indifference. The church today has killed Jesus in the sense in our hearts by indifferent. We've become indifferent. We've become indifferent 
to the Lord. It's a lack of dedication. We're not dedicated to anything except what we love, and we don't love Jesus. We may say we do, but out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And where our heart is, or where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. It does not lie. What is it that you treasure more than anything? I read something this week that says it's pretty cool. One of the best things about getting older is enjoying getting somebody something more than looking forward to what you're going to get. That's a pretty cool deal. That's true. There's a lot of truth to that. But is it just about one up and somebody, look what I got my kids. Look what we got. And TV promotes it. Now they've got six-year-olds wishing for a Lexus. Really? I mean, I have some sorry parents if that's what they're wishing for. Whatever happened to the days of wanting a pony and a bicycle, you know, a big wheel. Anybody want a big wheel for Christmas? I do. I'd love to have one of those new model ones. Because, listen, I wore a slam stew out of the ones. I, I mean, if there's any toy I ever got that I wore out, I wore out my big wheels. We didn't have the old brake back here. See, I'm old. We was old school. We was Fred Flintstone hot wheel, uh, big wheels. We had the pedals on the front, and you stopped it by slinging it out. We were the original drifters. And we could drift those things. Man, it was, it was cool. If you don't know what that is, go home and look, Google it. Big wheel, and then tell mama you want a big wheel. Problem is, that's what we're so consumed with. Can I be real transparent and honest with you? Having Christmas Eve and Christmas on a Sunday really jacks up plans. But what's it really all about? Would we have plans if we didn't have Christmas? And would we have Christmas if we didn't have Christ? So let's be real honest right here for just a minute. Where's our focus going to be next Sunday? Where's it going to be tomorrow? Where's it going to be Thursday morning? Where's it going to be Wednesday night when we partake of only one of two ordinances we believe are biblical? The Lord's table, the Lord's supper in the sanctuary, Wednesday night at 6.30. One of the most beautiful, humbling, because it is a look backward at what Jesus did for us at Calvary. It's a look inward how the Lord changed us and how we need to be right with God. And it's a look forward to knowing this is not all there is. He's coming back. I look forward. I love the Lord's supper. Wednesday night in the sanctuary. May we not kill him in our heads. Kill him in our hearts with indifference and incompleteness. There's a lack of discipleship. Listen, we're an inch deep and a mile wide. We can say all the fluffy things. We can quote Tozer. We can quote Piper. And, and God rest his soul. Now in glory, we can quote Sproul. And we can quote all the great Billy Grahams and all the other things. But can we quote scripture and believe it in our heart? Do we know Jesus? 
as our Lord and Savior and walk with Him surrendered to His great glory that only He has. Herod wasn't about to go there. The priest wanted to have one foot in, one foot out, but then comes the Magi. The Gentile Magi sought the king. You see through their astronomy, and then in their hearts they looked up. Remember, priests, they just looked around. Oh, look at this church. Look at us. Look what the king looked down his nose. But the Magi looked up. Why? He says, where, they, they, they came and asked, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They made a statement in their question. They didn't say, where is he that they call king of the Jews? They said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? You see, they looked up. They sought the king to worship the greatest child ever to be born. Five miles, are we going to see the greatest ever? Last Sunday night, kids, y'all killed it. Elvis, I hear you, baby. I mean, King Kong back there. I mean, it, it was just, I told Michelle, and ask her if I didn't say this the truth. Most fun Wonderful children's Christmas musical I've seen in probably eight or ten years. Just great. But the truth of it. I mean, there's many more. We could have we got Richard Petty up here, the king. We could have had Michael Jackson up here with the king of NASCAR, the king of pop, with the king of rock and roll, with King Kong, with King Tut, and all the others they ascribe the name king to. Still one king. It's above all kings. The one that is king of kings. And lord of lords. And these magi understood it. They came to worship the greatest child ever born. They came to witness the greatest event of all time. Tell me the truth. Have you ever went to the fair and paid 50 cents to go in one of the side shows? Anybody? Thank you, Neil, for your honesty. Dean, Trey, you went to a side show? You see the woman with a beard? Something crazy like that? Yeah, I did too. I love that stuff. I mean, just crazy knuckle-headed stuff, you know? It's like going in Ripley's Believe It or Not. Look, if, if someone was to tell you the greatest event of all history. You know, we ask questions like this all the time. If you could meet uh, one famous person throughout time, who would you want to meet? If you could go out to eat with someone, if you could talk to someone who's already gone, who would you talk? And, and we, we say stuff like Jesus, and we say, you know, stuff like Elvis, and we say, you know, Whatever, greatest athletes of all time. All, we say all kinds of things about that. But the greatest of the greatest of the great of all time. The wise men got it. There's a reason they were called wise. They said, where is he? For we've come to worship him. 
You see, they came to witness the greatest event of all time. And that's so, what's so wonderful. And, and, and this will help you if you just said, I don't care what he said. I still think they came to the nativity right there over there by the barn. That's fine if you want to be wrong. That's fine. But this is what will help you be blessed in this understanding is it wasn't just about a one-day event. Through this through this time of searching, through this diligent pilgrimage, year, maybe two years later, when they get to that house, when they, when they get to Bethlehem, and that star stops over that house, can you imagine what they must have felt? They had traveled for days, weeks, months, years. They had traveled, they had studied, they had learned, and it's here! It's here. The closest thing that I can even begin to imagine that is when Becky rolled over. I was sitting at the computer finishing up my sermon. September 13th, 1997. See, you remember that Sunday? Yeah, because actually it was the 14th because it was about 1230, something like that. She was already in bed. I was finishing up my sermon for that morning. And I was already pretty excited. You don't know what I preached that morning? Nothing. What was you going to preach? I have no earthly idea. Because you see, our, our doctor, Becky was pregnant. And our doctor was a Christian and when they were scheduled, Becky was scheduled to be induced. And when they scheduled it, I remember hearing her on the phone. She said, oh, no, that is impossible. You can't schedule them at 1030 on Sunday morning. Her husband's a pastor. He's got to preach. They'll be here at 230. So I was going to go preach. Becky was going with me. Get a bite. Go to the hospital. Have a baby. You know, I'll just... Put it in my daytimer, schedule, have a baby. Well, God had already proven you don't just schedule that kind of stuff because for eight years, the world told us you can't have a child. Can't happen. Tried everything. Just love each other, and if you want to adopt or foster or whatever, so be it. And we had actually began to start talking about this when Becky woke me up one Monday morning. Earlier in 97, he said, I hope you're ready to be a dad. But now, I was still up trying to put the finishing touches on a message that never was preached. When God interrupted my life. And Becky said, hey, I think we need to go to the hospital. And I called my mother because she made me promise her before God. And she answered like she was sitting there having coffee at 11 o'clock in the morning. Hello? I said, Mama, we're headed to the hospital. All right, I'll be ready. Come on, get me. So I'm by, picked Mother up, pulled in the hospital about 1.15. And at 6.47 p.m., I held Emily Rebecca Louise Brady for the first time. That's pretty exciting. And I really condensed that story. 
But man, I was able to look forward with great anticipation, just like a wedding day, planning, planning. Look, they had worked, they had looked, they had traveled, they had suffered through much to come to this day because they came to celebrate the goodness of God. They understood who he was. Has God been good to you? Then let us come before him with gladness in our heart. With the goodness of knowing how wonderful. They had one mission. Find Jesus. That's all they worried about. They wasn't worried about making friends and increasing their influence. They were not worried about diplomacy and how they can build new new trade uh, uh, agreements across the board. They didn't worry about trying to l- get people to understand who they were and how smart so they could go on a speaking tour. They wanted to find Jesus. And they wouldn't stop till they did. And they didn't. And you know what? They were never the same. As they come to the instruments this morning, what will you do with this Jesus? Will you keep just looking around at all the religiosity? Say, well, I'm, I'm saved. and That's enough. Filled with your ideas of understanding and your schools of thought? Or have you killed God in your heart? Because you've become so indoctrinated by... God has blessed you with relationships. God's blessed you with education. God's blessed you with authority. And it's went to your head and it's, it's, it's sucked the blood out so that you, you've stopped trusting God with your head, with your heart. And you just look down, oh, those poor, ignorant, unlearned Christians that just give it all for Jesus. You give to Lottie Moon missions because you soothe your conscience of ever worrying about telling anybody else. You'll you'll just pay to have that done for you. Or you look up and you see the greatest star. The star that directs us to the greatest event, the greatest child the greatest thing that could ever happen to you, coming and kneeling before the King. You need to come to this altar this morning and say, God, I come looking up to you. Father, Father, I need you. Lord, tear away the deadness of my head. Lord, tear away the deadness of my heart. Instead of killing you, may I die that you may live in me. Lord, I want to be wise, but I want to be wise To the point that I'm wise because I seek you. What do you need to do today? It's between you and God. Come. Come to Jesus. Stand and come.